a Podcast One production. Well, welcome to Be A Man, and this episode is the one I've been looking forward to the most. When we got the rundown at the start of the year, I went, yeah, baby, this is what I'm looking for. It's the sex episode, and we're going to have a sexologist and a relationship specialist join us, Dr. Nikki Goldstein, in a moment. But uh, the other doctor in the house, when was the last time you had sex? (laughs) I knew I should have got permission from my wife before I came this morning. I don't know if I'll have to check with her before I can answer that question. Okay. Did she give you any advice or anything as you left the house today? No, but she did actually say she, uh, I've known Dr. Nikki for a while and my wife's ever met Dr. Nikki and she knew what we were coming in to do today. So she said, good luck. And then she did, uh, and I quote, say, maybe you could come home with a few tips. (laughs) I think we could all use some tips. And uh, yeah, when it, when it comes to sex, I suppose, for, for, for me, 25 years married nearly. So it's a very different type of relationship than the one that it started off all the way back in 19, sort of 87, that first kiss, you know, and the excitement that comes with that. Now it's sort of, you know, it's something a little bit different. Definitely, and I'm uh, yeah, 22 years married, um, so not far off that. And and no, and I think that's a really important point with relationships generally, and sex is part of that. Um, that relationships do change. Of course, they change. I mean, I'm not the same person I was 20 plus years ago. My wife isn't, just as you and your wife aren't. And hopefully, uh, today we're going to hear about that, not just the role of sex in relationships, which is important, but how that can change over time, and uh, how we might need to adjust or adapt to the changing circumstances. I think it's really important too for the for the guys listening to our. Podcast podcast to realise that, you know, sex is important, but it's not the be all and end all. And also a lot of blokes that might be struggling with things in their life, you know, it might come down to the fact, well, you know, I keep seeing this stereotype of this manly man that gets all the hot girls all the time and how easy it is to pick up or they they hear things from other friends and they, they sort of feel that they're not quite manly because they can't do it themselves. Uh, definitely. Well, well, what's important? Well, so there's no doubt relationships are important for health and wellbeing, in fact, probably the most important thing. And there's no doubt out that intimacy is important within relationships, but sex is only one part of intimacy, I think. And, and as we just said, uh, the frequency and the, the, the type, I suppose, will change over time. And I guess we need to accept that it will ebb and flow and fluctuate and, and, and again, change over the years. Uh, it won't always be the same and um, you know, that's okay. A lot of young blokes listening to us too on Tinder, Grinder, you know, whatever your flavour is. Um, but there's even more now. There's ones for successful blokes, successful ladies, for over 40s, under 40s, you know, uh, gay, all the different types that are out there. And talking to some young blokes that I talk to in my cricket team and so forth, it seems so easy now. And it's sort of the relationship, the flick to the left or the flick to the right, just on your smartphone, all of a sudden gives you opportunities that, you know, I remember. First time I tried to go out with a girl, I had to get the home phone number. You ring the home phone, the father or the mother picks up the phone. You then got to go through that nervousness, explain who you are. Then the phone goes down, you wait for the girl to come to the phone and then it's that sort of conversation and then eventually you might go to a movie or you might go to an ice rink or you might go out for an ice cream or something. These days they tend to get to sex pretty quick. Well, I think, yeah, look, I'm of the same generation as you, as you were describing that I distinctly recall some of those uh, anxious phone calls. But um, but look, I don't think it's changed that much. I mean, I think that first step of connecting is a lot easier and that's great, but still. You know. Does it cheapen a bit though how easy it is just to flick and go bang, you know, I'm, I'll meet you at this bar or 
But that's just to meet, so that makes it. But I think once they do meet, that anxiety is still going to be there. I don't know if that next stage is necessarily any easier. In fact, I know it's not. I work with a lot of young guys at, at Petit, you know, the organisation, who are, you know, in their mid to late 20s going through all of that. And it's, you know, it's just as challenging as it will always be. And that's that's not a bad thing. You know, it's important. Obviously, we don't want to make um, snap decisions. It's an important decision who we're going to go out with and, and even who we're going to sleep with. Another thing I want to raise with uh, with Dr. Nikki is porn um, and how that has changed so much over, you know, the time from when you and I were growing up. I remember going to my brother's stash of, you know, magazines and thinking how unbelievably exciting it was to, to sort of, you know, be able to nick one out of his room and get it back before he even knew. And um, these days it's just so easy. It's just you know, whack it into the uh, your smartphone, away you go. Well, that, that certainly has changed, there's no doubt about it. Again, um, you know, what was uh, hard to access 20 years ago and what we accessed then, I suppose, was pretty damn tame uh, compared to, to these days where within, you know, any smart device, any, any smartphone, tablet, within seconds you can have access to all sorts of um, not tame, in fact. Categories. Quite radical. So, yeah, so that's definitely a change. I'd be very interested to hear Dr Nikki's opinions on that. Well, the time has come, Doc. Another Doc's joined us here on the podcast, Be A Man, and we've got Dr. Nikki Goldstein, who's a sexologist and a relationship specialist. Doctor, welcome to the show. I feel like this is nearly a version of the doctors. Nearly. We'll make you an honorary doctor just Never for smart this enough. Show. <laughs> never smart enough, never dedicated enough to stick with it. But tell me about sexologists, relationship Specialist. What does that actually mean? It's not a made-up term. It actually does exist. But sexology is a scientific study of sex. So I have a background in psychology and counselling, wound up doing family mediation and wanted to be part of a solution. I wanted to help educate people, but I didn't want to be a therapist. So I actually shifted over to San Francisco and I found this very open-minded school called the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, where nothing is out of bounds. Mm. Um, and I quickly transferred from a certificate to a doctorate because I just absolutely fell in love with the science. Um, and that's what gives me, I suppose, the qualifications to be able to say what I say and do what I do. You just said uh, nothing's out of bounds. And um, as you know, we've known each other a few, few years now. And as well as respecting your credentials and qualifications and you, the way you communicate about it, one of the things I've always admired about you is the way that you can talk about sex in a very matter of fact way. Um, and for something that's so important to our, all of our lives, so many of us find it hard to talk about it, uh, particularly men, I think. Um, why do you think it is so hard for people to talk about such, a, such an important topic? And what can we do to, to make it easier for all of us to talk about sex? Well, I think we have this, this fear around sex and it really stems back from many, many years. It's really influenced by sometimes a lot by religion. So we're taught to, to put it underground. You know, sh- even when you notice people say the word sex, they'll say sex. <laughs> you know, like it's like when they swear, like they don't want to actually say something. So I think it's a real issue in our society, but then we also need to be careful about what we're saying, where we're saying it, because I still think that certain conversations should be private. You know, is it appropriate just to meet someone new and say, hey, I had really great sex last night? And you might be pressing a boundary for them because they maybe come from a more conservative background. So I think that certain conversations need to be had that are maybe a bit more relevant to 
wider society, but also that aren't necessarily triggers. So you start soft, you know, you're not going to go into anything that's too crazy or hardcore, but maybe if you can broach the subject of sex on a gentle level with somebody, if they respond well to that, or they have that feeling of, oh, thank goodness, I can finally talk to someone about sex. It's that level of permission that they'll give you. Then you might be able to delve deeper into it. But even with my job, I've always got to be careful when I meet people or I'm doing an interview because I don't know often the people that I'm talking to where their levels are and what they're comfortable with because just because I can talk about sex till the cows come home doesn't mean that everybody else is so comfortable with it. So if you get that little bit of permission, do you then just, is it open slather then? I don't think it's open slather, but I think the motivation is why you were talking about what you're talking about. Now, you will get some, you know, what I call sex sexperts that I find love talking about sex because it brings them that attention. You know, I can be the sex person. I'm the sex person at the party. I always challenge people and think, well, why are you bringing this topic up at this point in time? You know, are you feeling that you want to have a conversation with somebody and feel normal? You know, do you want to get some advice from a mate and be like, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. What are you doing? Or, you know, I'm not really really sure about this. Me and my partner are having a few troubles. You know, I just want to see if if you're having anything similar. Conversations like that are really helpful because obviously the motivation is from a good point of view. You know, you're looking at, hey, I need to ask my mate about something or I need to discuss a topic and I'm not sure who to go to. It's when people want to be that person's like, oh, I had great sex last night. Oh my God, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I go, why do you, why, why are you doing that? Are you validating yourself? I guess there's probably, I think there's probably a lot of men out there thinking, how do I know if my sexual behaviour, if my proclivities, if, if what I do is normal, and or it doesn't matter to be normal. Well, I don't think that there is such thing as normal when it comes to sex. And this is the difficulty when you study sexology versus, you know, any other any other subject in the humanities. We don't have that baseline to compare something to. Our baseline is a study that was probably very Cosmo-like that says, you know, the average Aussie couple is doing it 2.4 times a week. That's the average Aussie couple. And were you or I asked in that study. So you can kind of go, there really isn't such thing as normal. There is socially acceptable. And I think that's sometimes what governs us too much, what we should be doing. But when it comes to this idea of flaunting our sexuality to someone else, I think for men, it's that masculine myth that there's this myth surrounding what it means to be a sexual man, that you need to be giving it to your partner all the time. You need to be giving them multiple orgasms. You know, you need to be that strong, tough, masculine man. And I have a real problem with that because it's that that expectation that I feel really affects people in the bedroom. Even as a woman, they're thinking, this isn't the type of sex that I want. But some men think, okay, this is the type of sex. To be that masculine, sexual, successful man, this is the type of longer, harder, faster sex that I need to be having with my partner. And then I need to be able to talk about it with my friends and say things like, I, I gave it to her, I tapped that. Is that. Does that mean that the sex was necessarily that pleasurable or that intimate? No, it's fulfilling that masculine validation that's this myth of what a man should be. The only thing that really matter is like if I go home to my wife and have a discussion about sex, like I, I'm a talker, I'm a communicator, I talk all morning on my breakfast show, I'm talking to men all the time. If I have a discussion with my wife about sex, it's a place where I'm not particularly comfortable. You know, I can talk about it and I can say this is what makes me happy and whatever, but it's it's a bit of an irky conversation. So how, and there might be blokes out there listening to our podcast who are the same. So could you give us sort of any sort of tips on how to have that, at least that initial start of an awkward conversation? Because once you're in the conversation, 
you feel validated and in a way you go, but it's just, it's the starting point, isn't it, on how to have that convo? Well, I think first of all, you need to challenge yourself as to why you are uncomfortable, because that's a big thing. Like, let's look underneath this. Is it because you came from a family where sex wasn't spoken about? Do you and your partner maybe not communicate enough about sex and you think, oh, if I have this conversation, she's going to think I'm really weird or awkward or it's going to start some conflict. I think that's the first step. Why do you feel awkward? I think the second step, especially if you're looking at an intimate long-term relationship, air the fact that you feel uncomfortable. Say this to your partner and say, you know what, I really want to have a conversation with you about sex and, and not, you know, complaining or anything like that. I just want to be able to talk to you about our sex life. But for some reason, I'm feeling really uncomfortable and awkward about that. Can, is that okay that we can, you know, work around that together? Because if you're feeling awkward, then you're going to be putting that out into the conversation and she's probably feeling awkward as well. Mm. So sometimes it's that moment in a relationship where you need to air that awkwardness and say, okay, we both feel a bit awkward. Maybe we both come from backgrounds where sex wasn't a topic that we spoke about so freely. Okay, let's get that out of the way so we can have a more honest conversation. Because I feel like once you air the big pink elephant that's sitting in the room, then you can have that more honest dialogue of, okay, I I feel like maybe we're not having sex enough. Can we have a conversation around that? I feel like you're not satisfied enough. I really want to ask you some questions around that. That's where you can have that honest conversation. But I feel like if you're both sitting there looking at each other like, oh my God, I'm awkward. Oh my God, I'm awkward. It really halts the conversation to a, so should we have more mm, sex? (laughs) Surely most people come from a a background in Australia, in a traditional Australia where sex wasn't openly spoken about. Surely we, most of us come from, I certainly came from that sort of, but my mum wasn't a prude at all. Like my dad wasn't a prude at all. And, but the thought of them having sex or walking in on them having sex or <laughs> it's just disgusting. But you know, it just kind of, they had sex twice, the- me and my brother, <laughs> yeah. you know, end of, you know. And it's that's just- what my dad used to say to me. And as a kid, I was always like, oh, dad, come on. As an adult, I was like, yep, twice. That's it. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to even think about it. But it's, listen, I'm not going to say that it's normal to think about your parents as sexual beings, right? Thank God I, for that. I, it's not normal or not that it's not normal, but you don't have to. And even if your family wasn't, you know, prudish, it still doesn't mean that sex is not awkward to talk about because someone can be open-minded or somebody can be free with the subject of sex. Like my parents always spoke to me about condoms and safer sex and things like that. They never spoke to me about sexual pleasure. They never spoke to me about how to have a conversation with my partner because back then it wasn't done. It wasn't seen as something that was important. So you can understand that as a teen growing up, you think, okay, I know how to use a condom. I know how to protect myself. I know when I need to go to the doctor and go on the pill. You know, my mum was very open minded, but she took me to the doctor to go on the pill. She gave me condoms. But then beyond that, talking about what is normal and what is not normal, that conversation wasn't had. So you can see how that starts to leave you scratching your head a little bit because no one teaches you how to be in a relationship. No one teaches you how to talk about sex Mm. or even have sex for that matter. Mm. Well, no one really teaches us how to talk how to have those uncomfortable conversations about anything, really. I mean, that's so it's just part of our broader theme within this uh, podcast series, uh, the masculine myth that you referred to earlier. And as we know, the masculine myth includes not really talking much, particularly about things that are uncomfortable. If I'm in a current relationship, um, is there anything else that matters apart from uh, my wife and I agreeing on some common acceptable behaviours? I mean, if we're both happy... Is that okay? And is some of the does most of the conflict come from one person wanting more than the other or different to the other? I think the conflict in the bedroom really relates to the conflict in the relationship. 
Because you might have agreed on the things that are socially acceptable and the things that you both like and the things that you both want. But what I find is that the two lives, our bedroom life and our everyday life are so connected and sometimes we're not making that that connection. So, you know, the most common one that I'm finding for women is resentment. Now, you can have a great sex life and you can have agreed on all these things. Something happens outside of the rela- out of the bedroom and she holds on to resentment or anger. Really? Women hold on to it? <laughs> anger and <laughs> I hadn't come across that at all. Because the reason they hold on to it is obviously because it's not been resolved. Just let it go. I don't understand this. To- yes, but then you need to help us let it go because this is the thing is that we're problem solvers. We want to fix things. We want to get in there and see what. I thought that was all. men. Yeah, we're yeah, that as well. Well, then solve the We let the things problem. go. Just let it go, Nick. <laughs> but are you, so you're touching on the – I think you may – this is an important point. Is this the difference between sex and intimacy? Uh, I feel like this is not necessarily the, the – the difference between sex and intimacy, this is the role that intimacy plays, you know, in the sexual context. Because you'll hear so many guys joke about how their partners don't want to have sex or that they've got a headache, you know, that that age-old question. I always sometimes think, is it really because their partners don't want to have sex or because is it they're holding on to something emotional? You know, are they stuck? Do they feel terrible about themselves? Have you made a few sly comments to your partner that are just sarcastic and just joking, but she's holding on to it? Maybe you've done something and they're thinking, he doesn't get me, he doesn't to me. He doesn't think about me. You hit your head at the end of the night on the pillow and you're tired. You know, we're all busy these days. Your partner's nudging at you and you think, why the hell do I want to give up my sleep for you when you can't do this for me? Now, that's what I question. Is that a, a role that we're playing time and time again in the bedroom? We might have agreed on what's acceptable. We might have a great sex life. You put that thing into the mix and you can see that that can continue on and it can start that downward spiral. Would you, so maybe do, uh, just to ask my question in a different way, then you say, so sex isn't the answer to a great relationship? No, but it's important. I really do think that, you know, the, one of the problems in society is we, you know, sex is taboo and sex is this naughty, naughty thing. And people go, oh, well, it's not just all about sex. Okay, I get that it's not just all about sex, but I think we need to come back and have a look at why do we have sex with our partners? Besides the fact that it feels good and sometimes we, we get a bit horny and we go, oh, yeah, I, I, I want to have sex. Why do we do it so often in a relationship? Because we're looking at things like bonding and intimacy, having fun with our partner. You know, if you're not in an open relationship, if you're in a closed relationship, this is one thing that you do with that person that you don't do with anyone else. Even if you are in an open relationship, you're going to be having sex very differently with your primary partner as you are to anyone else. It's something that binds you as a couple. If you have great intimate sex, and by great intimate sex, I'm not saying orgasms and 50 shades of grey. I'm saying we're having a bit of fun. We both feel fulfilled. We both feel respected. For the rest of the day, you'll be in a better mood. You'll feel more loved. You'll feel more connected to that person. And I feel like that bonding is what helps you to get over all the other issues that come out through the day. So really, when we look at the importance of sex in a relationship, besides the fact that it feels good and it's it's sexual pleasure, it is important for the survival of a relationship. And that's the emphasis we need to put on it. Not that, hey, you know, we as women, we have to give it to men and as men, they have to give it to us and vice versa, or we have to be having sex 2.4 times a week. Otherwise, we're not a successful relationship. Let's actually have a look at why we have sex. I'm still getting over a primary partner and an open <laughs> relationship and this, this stuff didn't happen back in 87 when I was. Oh, we did. It just wasn't on, it wasn't on social media. <laughs> well, there's only one way to have sex in my life and that's with my wife and end of story. So for me, 25 years, same lady, tough sometimes, you know, to come up with that magic move in my head or try to do something a little bit different or 
you know, trying to find the right time. You know, I do breakfast radio. I'm up at 3.30. I never go to bed with my wife. I, I never wake up with my wife. I'm trying to tiptoe around the room not to wake her up. So you've got to find times. You've got to book times in. It ends up being a lot less romantic that way. It's sort of literally it's, a, it's scheduled. But it's, what's like. this idea of romance? You know, this is another myth that we've got to look at. We all think that this ideal sex has to be romantic, spontaneous, different, new. But just awake at the same time, what I'm talking about. Like, that <laughs> doesn't have to be that romantic. I suppose I use that word, but it's like I would like to have 20 minutes at some stage when we're both awake lying in bed yeah. together. <laughs> 20 minutes, you're just showing off. We do it a few times. <laughs> No. <laughs> but it's, it's something that you need to put Three the priority minutes. into. And this is one of the problems in these this busy life that we leave. You know, we all have different lives and schedules to our partners. We all have a lot of demands on us. Yet sex seems to come down the bottom of the list. And it's the same thing when we look at parents with young kids. Like, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got are you putting any importance on scheduling sex? People go, oh, scheduling sex isn't sexy. And it's like, well, hang on. Would you rather actually be having sex or not be having sex? So if that's the case, let's schedule it. And it's not a matter of saying, okay, it's not spontaneous. It's not sexy anymore. It's saying, this is our time. We're going to put importance on it just like a meeting. Just if someone called you yeah, up and said- Yeah, but can you get yourself sorted out, Doc, in that time? So like, you know, I've got 11.20, I've got to be home for that. I remember we had a lot of trouble having our first son. So Vix would say to me, okay, you need to be home at this time. I'd go home at lunchtime. Because if she felt like that would be right, and then I'd leave her with sort of a, her feet up against the wall to make sure, that, you know, because she had read something somewhere that that had worked. Then I had a, like a green tea on the way out and something else to get on my sperm count going. Like it couldn't have been less sexy, but we ended up with this most incredible little son and then, you know, daughters came after that. But it was really weird driving home going, I've got to fire up in the next couple of minutes, you know, and I had a little bit of strut about me thinking I wanted to be good and she's like, I don't give a damn, just do it. It's hard. <laughs> Well, in those contexts, you understand that, you know, you're at a task level, you know, you're trying to, and this is a problem too with couples that are trying to get pregnant. Sex doesn't become pleasurable anymore. It becomes a task and it does take any sexiness and fun out of it. But I think when you're looking at scheduling sex, you need to look at scheduling sexy time. It doesn't mean that it has to be penetration sex. It just needs to be a moment where you can be physically intimate. So that might be kissing, hugging, caressing, other acts that are considered foreplay, you know, things like that, that it's important to still have in a relationship. Because when we look back at the intent of sex and why it's important in a relationship, it's important to be doing those things, to be close to your partner. If you think that it's really intimidating to go, all right, I've got to fire up, I've got to get home and I've got to do this, then don't do that. Be like, I'm coming home. I'm going to spend some time with my partner. We're going to be physically intimate. We're going to enjoy each other's company. And that's what we're scheduling. If, if the pressure of sex is too much, schedule something else. It's alone time, potentially with your clothes off. I like, uh, <laughs> I think that's a really important point. I like the fact you talk that, that sex and intimacy, intimacy is much more than just penetration. I think, you know, that's, you know, holding hands, cuddling, there's so much more that we, and we sometimes forget about that when we're talking about quote unquote sex. But I also wanted to go back to a point you raised about the difference between sort of fantasy and reality and, you know, Hollywood movies say versus reality. And we see this a lot as a massive issue with, you know, particularly girls' body image, you know, comparing themselves to, to the images they constantly see, which, which we know are unrealistic. They're photoshopped. But also that, and I guess in this particular context, something that we, we you know, we joked a bit about in the introduction, but it's, it's a very important issue is porn. And, and I mean, how real, quote unquote, real is it? And if it's not, and we know that a lot of it's not real, what impact does that have on, on men's expectations, and women too, but on men's expectations of themselves to perform, to, to be like these, 
things that are not real, I suppose. Well, I feel like recently I've become the porn expert. <laughs> Someone <laughs> asked me, the, thanks. Someone asked me the other day why I can say what I say. And I said, well, I go out and I research this stuff because if I'm going to talk to you about porn, I want to know everything about it. I want to know what the actors say. I want to know what a set looks like. I want to know behind the scenes. And after my third trip, to a porn site, I think it is. I feel like I'm now at that level where I can really take on any myth. So the problem that we have with porn is that we as a society often look at it as an instructional DVD. Now, we need to liken that the same way as would you learn how to drive a car from watching The Fast and the Furious? It is sexy entertainment and we need to get that split between fantasy and reality because porn stars are not saying there, hey guys, copy what we do. You know, that is not the intent to what they're doing. They're performing stuff that is for entertainment. They're performing stuff that is for fantasy. So then we're the ones that are sitting here trying to emulate and compare ourselves. And the porn stars are saying to us, actually, that's not what we're trying to do. And that's not, you know, what we're trying to achieve by these DVDs and videos. So I think the biggest thing, if you are going to incorporate porn into your life or your relationship, you need to work out that level between fantasy and reality and your expectations. You know, some porn is more realistic to to everyday sex acts, but you also need to be aware that there is a lot that goes in behind the scenes. There's a lot of editing. There is a lot of cuts and takes for lubes and different plugs that go different places. Uh, women I have do not no have... idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this is a complete mystery to me. Okay, well, let's break it down. You know, it's about angles. The camera needs to get in there and see the angles. So a lot of the positions are not very comfortable. You talk to a lot of porn stars and they go, oh my God, I hate reverse cowgirl because you know my arms give way and all that. But it's the best position for the camera angle. I've learned this. So, Again, I've got no idea, but carry on. So guys laying, laying on the ground, the girls kind of laying on top of him and they're supporting each other, if that paints the picture. There's a ca- the legs are wide. There's penetration going on, and there's a camera angle in. We've there. just we've lost Gus. He's going now. <laughs> He's gone. It's, it's oh, com- sorry, I'll send you some DVDs. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't sign to- up for this type of talk. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> You're loving it. Coming back, because this is a, um, a really important issue. And Gus and I were kind of joking, we touched on in the introduction about how when we grew up, and you know, as old men or um, older men, we grew up, um, porn for us was basically a magazine, a penthouse or a Playboy magazine, which today is pretty tame. You know, in hindsight, we look back at that now and think, gosh, it wasn't, it's not really that outrageous. But compared to, so I have a, a teenage son. And um, whether he is now or at some point he will start, you know, within a few taps on his smartphone or tablet or laptop can access all of this stuff you're talking about and more. Um, and yet, so they're seeing this stuff, which, which as we just talked about is, is questionably realistic or unrealistic. What influence is that having or will that have on, on the, that, that younger generation? A negative one. And, you know, even though I'm positioning myself as the porn expert here, I'm not going to say that it's the healthiest thing for teens. Now, the interesting thing is when you talk to a porn star about it, they will say, this is a money-making business. We are not targeting what we're doing at teenagers. But the problem is, is that teenagers these days have phones, they have the internet, and they are curious about sex. So what are they going to do if they're curious about it? They're going to go and search to see what it looks like. And they're going to go, oh, this feels good. Oh, this is exciting. And if a lack of education in that mix happens, they're going to think that that's what sex looks like. So this is where I feel like these conversations we were talking about before that we may or may not have had 
in our families about sex. This is where as parents these days, we need to be upping those conversations and having those conversations that are a bit more frank. Like, I just want to talk to you about porn. You're probably at the age where some of your friends might have shown it to you. You know, I just want to let you know that's not actually what real sex is like, you know, and do that comparison to Fast and the Furious and be like, you know how you watch movies with your friends and you know that there's stunts and you know that there's car chases? Well, that's the same thing with porn. It's like a movie, but with the sex scenes. Talk to them and they might have questions and say, well, dad, you know, what is it like to have real sex? I tried so hard to have this conversation with my son who had his first girlfriend just before he finished the HSC, well, about six months before. And the discussion came up about, you know, sleeping over and and then condoms. And I had all these things in my head. In fact, I was, I, I was, I was being a parent in my own head, how I'm going to do this. And it lasted about five seconds. I said, Jack, <laughs> I, want to talk, I want to talk to you. And he goes, seriously? And, like, and we get along very well. He loves me. We love each other. And he's like, I got this. He said, we did it all at school. I understand it all. I'm sensible. You brought me up right. And I go, but I've, I've got all this stuff to say, but I'm like prepared. And he goes, no, I got it. And then I spoke to the girlfriend's mother and she's like, oh, no, we, we've dealt with the stuff we have to deal with and I reckon we're good to go. And I go, well, uh, okay, well, everyone's good to go. But I felt like I haven't had that proper conversation. These young kids now, they grow up so much quicker than we did. And I would have loved my dad to have that, that conversation that earlier with like, me. People are so scared these days about having a conversation with, say, a kid under 13 about sex. Now, sex education needs to start when they are young kids, and that is in terms of normalising the subject. But don't you, don't you need them to be a child for... You know, but being a child, being a ch- is, child talking like, to them about sex is not taking away their childhood because talking to them about sex normalises that topic and that they can come to you with those conversations because there's this researcher in Australia that's actually proven she's got this model and she said, you know, when they're too young, we don't want to talk to them about sex because we're fearful of it. Then they get to this stage where it feels really awkward so we don't do it. Then they get to a stage where they think they know everything anyway and we've actually missed those vital steps of sex education. It has to start back when they're kids with just body parts, you know, being able to call a vagina a vagina, not a wee-wee, you know, or a penis a penis, not a willy. Because you're saying to kids, you know what, you respect those parts of their bodies and they have a name just like a chin and an elbow and an eye and a nose. Then when things come up or they see things on TV or they see naked photos of people and you say, okay, well, you put that into context because you need to start letting them have that message that anything to do with the naked body, with sex, with anything like that, you can come to me and have that conversation. If you, if your friend shows you something, because this is the terrible thing of the playground, you know, you might have the, the internet connections monitored on your kid's phone. Who's to say that their best friend's parents have done the same? They might show them an image and go, oh, look at this. This is cool. You want to be able to bring up your kids so they turn around and go, oh, I'm not so sure about that. That confuses me. They have the conversation with mum and dad. Hey, mum, hey, dad, I saw this on so-and-so's phone. I don't know really what's about or it kind of confuses me. Because then when they do get to the age where they start becoming sexually active and they start having their first boyfriend and girlfriend, and often the conversation that you're ready to have is too late. They've already had sex or they've already been sexual. That's where, you know, you want to be able to have them come to you and say, hey, I'm I'm really nervous. You know, I've got this first girlfriend. Like, can we talk about it? Or you're coming to them and saying, I really want to talk to you about how to keep yourself safe and protected. And hopefully that normalization of sex eliminates some of the awkwardness, not all of it, but some of it. There is so much that we could talk about, but if there's something that you could tell our listeners, the insecurities that us 
have about it. I know you say have that awkward conversation I know, and we say that, doctor and I say that, um, talk to your friends about how you feel. Just tell them you're not great and you need your help and everyone snaps to attention. The conversation is awkward but it starts awkward ends up it could save your life. So how do we, what advice would you give to our blokes just as an overall package because we do get scared at sex sometimes whether we're going to be good enough. We do compare ourselves to other people. What? How do we break it down? I would say that honesty turns into intimacy and intimacy is what helps sexual pleasure. So if you're having a look at that kind of model and you think, you know what, I feel like we're stuck in the bedroom, have the honest conversation with your partner. Get into that space where you're feeling awkward because that's where you're going to start doing this bonding stuff. That's where you're going to start feeling closer to them because maybe you both have the same concerns but you're not talking about it. Then when we have a look at what happens in the bedroom, you are going to feel closer. You are going to feel more bonded and probably have better sex as a result from that. So that's why it's important to have these conversations is because I assure you, if you're stuck on something, your partner's probably stuck on it as well. Maybe it's resentment. Maybe she's holding on to something. Now, unless you are the person that says, hey, I feel really awkward. I need to have this conversation with you. Is this, is this cycle going to continue to happen where sex is a chore, where you're pestering your partner for sex, she's holding on to resentment? It comes down to a choice. You know, Do you want to work at your relationship and your sex life or do you just want to let it dwindle? Well, what a wonderful conversation Dr. Nikki's just left us, uh, Dr. Happy. I'm full of doctors today. Um, I want to ask you a question. How, how much does sex play a part in our happiness? Well, look, I think Dr. Nikki's made some really, really important points and I think we can take a lot from it. One is that there's no doubt from the research, you know, that relationships, good quality relationships are vital for our health and happiness and well-being. But I think what we've learned today is that what's vital for our relationships is sex, that's a part of it, but it's actually much more than that because what what creates a good sexual relationship is honesty, trust, open communication and other forms of intimacy. And I think if we can maybe take the pressure away a little bit from the actual physical bit, so yes, it is important but not everything, and focus more on having honest, open conversations with our partner, um, then that can lead to a better quality relationship and more happiness. you got people that say you know, oh, I have such great sex with that person, but I can't stand them. You know, they've got a real roller coaster ride of a relationship. They're up and down like a bride's nighty. But when it comes to the bedroom, everything just connects and is perfect. What do you, so they're getting, they're happy there, but generally they're actually not that happy with the relationship. Well, well, I guess like anything in life, it depends what you want to get out of it. So, so there's certainly some pleasure we can get from physical intimacy. There's no doubt about it. But what we also know, and certainly what we've heard Dr. Nikki talk about, is that that's not the only component that goes towards a good quality relationship. There are so many other things that need attention as well. And uh, we need to address them or else we won't have good sexual relationships. I don't know what you're going to do tonight, Doctor, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an awkward conversation with my wife and see if we can... Uh get the jiggy on. Yeah, I think I'll just go and have a cup of tea. Fair enough, mate. If this episode caused any concerns, please contact lifeline.org.au or give them a call, 13 11 14. The Be A Man podcast series is presented by me, Gus Warland, and my great mate, Dr Tim Sharp, produced by the beautiful Liv Proud, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Be A Man is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes of Be A Man, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate and review us.